In what world do Donald Trump and Naomi Campbell work together in the food industry? Well, our world in the late 90s, apparently. The Fashion Cafe was meant to be a combination of Planet Hollywood and the Hard Rock Cafe. With supermodels Elle McPherson, Naomi Campbell, and Claudia Schiffer backing it, it should have been a sure success. Instead, things went so wrong that a presidential pardon was required to get the owners out of their own shady dealings. Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Prism of the Past. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be talking about the Fashion Cafe. Now, when I first heard about the Fashion Cafe, I thought I must have been listening to another ridiculous conspiracy, but this is something that actually happened. As a brief content warning, sexual assault is mentioned in this episode, but not at length nor in graphic detail. Now, let's begin with what the Fashion Cafe was and why it seemed destined for success. The fashion cafe history starts with a man by the name of Tommaso Butti. Born in Florence, Italy, Butti traveled to the US in 1989 with $8,000 and a passion for the restaurant business. He and a couple friends founded Focaccia, a gourmet delivery service, which found rapid success. But after a few years, he wanted to be independent, so he sold his stake in the company and started a Fulton Street deli that he claimed sold 1,000 lunches daily and was worth $10 million. If those numbers don't add up to you, well, you're not alone. When asked for an updated figure on how much his company was genuinely worth by reporters, he said, I don't know, making wild astronomical guesses. Though this was questionable, it wasn't exactly enough to call him out on. Just a few years later though, he was ready to move on. So he started planning out his fashion themed restaurant. Now, supermodels were very in during the early nineties, according to Wendy Webster, the spokeswoman for the National Restaurant Association. The big six, Linda Evangelista, Claudia Schiffer, Naomi Campbell, Kate Moss, Cindy Crawford, and Christy Turlington were the queens of the 90s, as one article puts it. These iconic women and their role in the fashion industry during this time can't be overstated. Around two years ago, Booty said, I realized that the only industry not to have the theme restaurant is fashion. The supermodels are really the stars of the 90s. But it wasn't just the models that inspired him. After all, Planet Hollywood had just burst onto the scene and they became an overnight sensation. Crowds would line up outside for hours for a table and its museum-like quality featured genuine film and TV props as decor, which was a massive part of the appeal. Celebrities like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Demi Moore, Bruce Willis, and Whoopi Goldberg were asked to act as investors and owners. Guests would file in hoping to see one of their favorite stars. Within only two years of opening, Planet Hollywood became a chain and opened two more restaurants, then signed leases for five new units. The openings were like red carpet events, considering the fact that Hollywood stars were in attendance. By 1994, they were still going strong, opening what would soon become their highest grossing restaurant, the Planet Hollywood in Vegas. The Hard Rock Cafe, another themed restaurant, had been founded decades earlier in the 70s, but it too was still going strong in the 90s. Celebrity sightings in the restaurants added to the mystique and unpredictability of a visit to the Hard Rock and reports about the famous musicians who visited was the best marketing the restaurant could have asked for. Whether it was Led Zeppelin throwing whiskey bottles, Carole King writing a musical tribute to the restaurant or Eric Clapton's guitar hanging on the wall, all of it became part of the Hard Rock's legacy. As a fun fact, did you know that the Hard Rock Cafe actually played their music purposefully louder to increase patron turnover rate? guests talk less and eat and drink faster when the music is loud, a fact that quintupled their turnover rate. Anyway, 
celebrity restaurants were making waves. So when Tommaso Budi saw this, he wanted in on that action. In 1994, he was determined to turn his dream into a reality. And by all accounts, things were looking up for him. His brother, Francesco, started helping him develop the business and he married model Daniela Pastova that year. Taking a leap, he offered Schiffer, McPherson, and Campbell 50 to $100,000 for every personal appearance they made at a restaurant opening, plus a percentage of the chain's future profits. Turlington eventually agreed to the deal too, though she initially called it tacky. According to one source, like Planet Hollywood, Fashion Cafe would be less about gastronomy and more about the experience of dining in a theme space. Bustiers and dresses worn by the models hung from the walls in glass cases, frozen in form-fitting poses as though they were inhabited by invisible bodies. A runway ran the length of the dining room. The front door was designed to look like a camera lens. Menu items were named after the models. For instance, Elle's shrimp on the Barbie. Waitstaff delivered food by marching down the retractable runway and life-size robot versions of the models even greeted guests from inside glass cases too. There were definitely some unusual moments along the way. For instance, during the Fashion Cafe pre-launch party in December, 1994, the three models burst through a paper backdrop, quote, like the Kool-Aid man. And they were wearing hard hats to imply that they were building this business. Elle McPherson later insisted that they were involved in the restaurant's mood, marketing, merchandising, memorabilia, and menu. However, a few sources were a bit suspicious of the models' claims that they were actual owners. One Seventh Avenue executive said, they said all these models were owners and the models didn't know they were owners. It sounded kind of shady. Other comments were made about how ridiculous it seemed that these models were promoting fish and chips and other unhealthy restaurant foods. Eating habits aside, it was a gimmick. This was nothing more than a diner with some fashion memorabilia and on the outside, there's nothing really wrong with that. Just weeks before the fashion cafe was set to open in April, 1995, Naomi Campbell was quoted as saying, We don't really have a place of our own in the fashion industry. The movie people have their place. The rock people have theirs. Now we have ours. Some doubted the models would actually show up to the restaurant as movie and rock stars had done for Planet Hollywood and Hard Rock, but Naomi insisted she would. The fashion cafe located at the Rockefeller Center was a tourist trap. Booty made sure to keep the restaurant accessible to the general public as according to him, an average person isn't going to be all that educated or interested in the ins and outs of the fashion world. According to one article though, it was different for celebrities. The fashion cafe also had an exclusive side as a venue for over-the-top food-free parties attended by guests like Prince. The trendy hipper-than-thou fashion crowd stuck out like Donna Karen in a Kmart field afar from the chic streets of downtown, the Associated Press reported when it launched in the spring of 1995. But the industry didn't seem to mind that its location right across the street from the Women's National Republican Club in Midtown was far from chic. The Fashion Cafe's grand opening was the highlight of that season's fashion week. Gianni and Donatella Versace, Tyra Banks, Veronica Webb, Beverly Peel, and Eileen Ford were all on the guest list. So were assorted celebrities like David Copperfield, the Wayans brothers, Jon Stewart, Matt Lauer, RuPaul, and Molly Ringwald. It was the only non-runway show event MTV's House of Style bothered to cover, and Roberto Cavalli pushed his New York debut dinner party three times to avoid a scheduling conflict. We would have loved to have had it after Roberto's show on Friday night, but who's not going to go to the fashion cafe? Lauren Izerski, who planned the event, told the Times, if we had dinner on Friday, I might've skipped my own party. And this is what made Turlington eventually get on board, though she still described it as a tacky restaurant. She did so lovingly, allegedly. Unfortunately, others weren't so loving towards the restaurant and the fashion cafe found itself the subject of some nasty trademark lawsuits. 
In August, 1995, Giorgio Sant'Ambrogio argued that he, the owner of the fashion cafe in Milan, had the name first. Giorgio argued that not only was Booty aware of his restaurant, but Booty was even an old friend who dined there often with his wife. Right after Giorgio claimed that Booty was copying him, Booty countersued, saying that he had no rights to the use of the name in the States. The thing is, I get that the words fashion cafe aren't exactly like extremely unique, but the fact that he knew Giorgio personally and agreed not to use the name and then turned around and did it anyway is kind of questionable. Eventually, this case was dismissed as the Milan restaurant couldn't gain protection under the Lanham Act, otherwise known as the Trademark Act. A fashion cafe spokesman dismissed the litigation as nothing more than a publicity stunt that wouldn't stop their expansion. But it wasn't only Booty's actions that raised red flags, but the attitudes of his investors as well. The investors were tell me where to go kind of guys, says a former fashion cafe employee who joined when the New York restaurant opened in the spring of 1995. They wanted to say they owned the models. They wanted to say they owned a piece of fashion cafe. This was play money. This source also claims that undiscovered models also put on fashion shows around the cafe in pajama wear, suggesting that this restaurant may not have exactly been kid friendly, shall we say. Other articles claim that servers wore modest black shirts and vests and made absolutely no mention of the models. So I'm not entirely sure how true this is. Regardless, the diner was doing well for itself. They sold 28,000 t-shirts in their first four months of operation and the New York Times even left them a largely positive review. The author of the article, Ruth Reichel said that, quote, sex and food were being marketed here as surely as they were when women wore bunny ears. This time, at least, the women are pocketing the cash, end quote. The models sure were pocketing cash. A British newspaper claimed that the models all contributed a half a million dollars each. Nobody didn't confirm this as Fashion Cafe was a private company. He promised that the women were actual owners. We all work here, he assured. But as you might have guessed, they didn't. The models were never owners and investors were starting to realize he wasn't just lying to the public. Booty raised $30 million from 1994 onward to get this restaurant off the ground. Even though I'm not in the restaurant business, that sounds like a lot of money and far more than necessary to start a restaurant. As it turns out, he ended up selling 400% of the business, promising investors equity that he didn't have to give away. A former associate explains. Everything's fine if the deal bombs right away because none of the investors ask for their money back. But if it works for a while, then people start showing up and asking to see the books. Three years in, that's exactly what began happening. Paychecks bounced and suppliers refused to deliver unless they paid cash. Meanwhile, Booty spent these funds like they were from his own personal checking accounts. In 1996, Fashion Cafe made payments and or loans totaling over half a million dollars to an entity called Francesco Tommaso Ventures and overpaid $400,000 to Booty's wife. Hundreds of thousands were tossed around like pocket change. Not only did Booty not have the funds to be spending this much dough, but the fashion cafe itself wasn't earning him as much money as it used to either. By the late 90s, themed restaurants in general were struggling. Planet Hollywood, the same restaurant Booty had been inspired by, could barely keep its head above water. Their stock had been at a 52-week high of $19.63 a share before dropping to $3.88 a share in 1998. Unlike Planet Hollywood, Hard Rock had adapted, moving into the concert setting, building hotels and casinos, but Planet Hollywood and Fashion Cafe never really took this route. Planet Hollywood did eventually open up resorts, but not for another decade. Themed restaurants are still popular to this day for their niche appeal, like Saved by the Bell or Anchorman pop-ups, but between licensing costs and the risk of becoming dated or growing stale, they can be risky too. 
Do you remember Wendy Webster who said supermodels were in during the 90s? Well, she also asked the question, will they still be popular in 10 years? It's important to be flexible and change with the times. Not only were themed restaurants taking a hit, but the supermodel era was winding down too. The fact that Booty's restaurant was based on both obviously did not bode well for him. Perhaps Fashion Cafe was destined to fail, or maybe it could have stayed alive if it expanded into other avenues like Hard Rock. Either way, the business declined, investors came knocking, and they did not like what they saw. One of the earliest suits came in late 1997 from another one of Booty's former friends, Miami ophthalmologist Luigi Palma, who claimed that Booty was illegally siphoning Fashion Cafe assets to fund his lavish lifestyle. Palma was seeking $1 million, but this was only the beginning of Booty's legal problems. In the summer of 1998, three corporate entities owned by construction heir Valero Morabito sued Booty for $14 million, claiming that he had lied to him about Fashion Cafe's success while diverting company funds. Morabito's companies had wired $3 million of their $9 million investment into bank accounts that weren't owned by the Fashion Cafe at all at Booty's direction. The law firm Pavia and Harcourt also filed a lawsuit for 400,000 in unpaid bills. But personally, I think the real cherry on top is when the Rockefeller Center itself stepped in and sued the fashion cafe for six months of back rent. I was able to even find another lawsuit from Woodrow Wilson Construction Company as well, proving that Booty avoided paying what others were owed on his rise to the top. According to the suit, they entered into a $1,970,000 contract in January, 1996, and the following month created a second contract to outline a payment schedule. When the work was completed, Booty owed them about $450,000, but only paid 150, completely ignoring the remaining 300,000 plus he still owed. September of that year, Wilson agreed to accept 275,000, but Booty only paid 50,000, leaving an outstanding balance of $225,000. Booty knew he could not escape this many lawsuits. A law firm, an old friend, Rockefeller Center, and multiple corporations, all his demons had come back to haunt him. So what did he do? He fled. New York Magazine writes, while the suits were still pending in court, the battle spilled over into the papers. In August, 1998, the New York Post reported that Booty was resigning from fashion cafe management because he had sold his shares to a Mexican company and felt it was time to move on. By September, the story had changed dramatically. With the company in crisis, Booty had simply disappeared. If Booty doesn't show up, he's in a lot of trouble, Palma told the Sunday Times of London. Booty retaliated by suing the paper. The Times printed a retraction, acknowledging he had never vanished. Even the Independent initially reported that Booty had resigned amicably, and at first this all looked to be nothing more than stupid business decisions. He should have spent less on decor and more on the day-to-day expenses, you know, that sort of thing. But once these lawsuits came out and people realized he wasn't just a bad restaurateur, but a liar, people began to wonder what other aspects about his character were also a bit shady. One of the first things people learned was that he lied about the models being owners. They received appearance fees, but the models seemed to have no genuine ownership of the fashion cafe whatsoever. I don't know how much of a say the models may have had in the menu or marketing as Elle McPherson mentioned earlier, but they certainly were not owners. In fact, some sources even claim that he actually treated some of the models incredibly poorly. On one occasion, several models confronted him in front of onlookers. One put out a cigarette on his back and yelled, quote, I'm through with you and your enterprise. It ain't for me. I'll make sure that everybody finds out the truth about you. I'm tired of pretending that everything is fine. This is one venture I would like to forget. I'm going to go home and forget I ever got involved with this whole thing, end quote. 
Though the book I found this quote from, Bad and Beautiful Inside the Dazzling and Deadly World of Supermodels by Ian Halperin, it doesn't specifically identify the model who said the quote, and it adds that Christy Turlington in particular hated the place. A close friend said that Christy is a woman of integrity, so the way Booty would lie at openings and call her an owner or a shareholder would upset her. Bad and Beautiful also alleges that Booty gave models alcohol when he knew they were struggling with addiction. One morning, Turlington said to have found Naomi Campbell, allegedly Booty's favorite model, sick in the coat room. Quote, he tried to get Naomi smashed. I know that Booty likes to give models booze, but this is the last straw, end quote. Turlington's boyfriend at the time, Jason Patrick, claimed to be infuriated by the environment. It's so stupid to show up there and pretend that everything's all right, he said. The whole idea of the fashion cafe is ridiculous. It would have worked if somebody who knew what they were doing was in charge, but the way Booty and his people set it up is disastrous. Turlington demanded back the memorabilia she donated to the cafe, a Calvin Klein bra and panties she'd worn in an ad, and threatened to sue if Booty didn't comply. Worried he'd be reamed by the media if he didn't give in, he gave the items back. Anyway, not only was he a bad boss, but he wasn't the wealthy, experienced entrepreneur that he claimed to be either. Aside from his suspiciously successful deli shop, he also claimed to have moved from Florence, Italy to the US after having a disagreement with his wealthy father. In actuality, he'd been scamming people there too and had bounced 51 checks and promissory notes. According to Joanna Berkman of the New York Magazine, when I confront Booty with this information, he responds blithely. I think everybody can have a financial problem, he tells me. We're talking about 30,000 to $40,000. We're not talking about $3 million. You know this, no? Booty claims that the bulk of the bad money was promissory notes he wrote for the purchase of a BMW, notes he deliberately did not make good on when he realized the seller was a fraud. What the rest of the notes and checks were for, all of which he says have been paid off, well, he can't remember. I swear I have no idea, he says laughing. Is that a big of a deal when you are 22 years old? Sure, people may have financial difficulty, especially in their early 20s, but if you're scamming people out of tens of thousands of dollars as an adult, you should certainly know better. And yes, you are going to have to suffer the consequences. I'm sorry that it was in your early 20s, but you're still an adult. Even the idea that he moved to the US with $8,000 in a dream wasn't accurate either. One former associate said that he didn't have two pennies to rub together and claimed his family was upper middle class at best. The reality is he didn't have a dime to his name and he was trying to fake it until he made it and he just never quite made it. Now, before we continue on and discuss the investigation and the downfall, obviously, let's take a quick break to thank today's sponsor. Athena Club's razor is designed with built-in skin guards to help prevent razor burn while being gentle on curves. The razor blade is surrounded by a water-activated serum with shea butter and hyaluronic acid, which is a holy grail for skincare. The best part about this razor kit is it's only $9 and it comes with two blade heads, a magnetic hook for shower storage and your choice of handle color. I love it. They have like six different color options. They also have black and white too. So you get to really pick whatever fits your style, your mood, your whatever. And besides how obviously amazing this razor is, which is quite a breath of fresh air, one of my favorite things about it is how it comes with the cute little magnetic hook because I don't have a lot of space in my shower, so I need to put things on my walls and this is just nice, cute, easy, and out of the way. So show your skin that you care with Athena Club Razor Kit. Sign up today and you'll get 20% off your first order. 
just go to athenaclub.com and use promo code PRISM. That's A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B.com with promo code PRISM for 20% off. Would you work with this man after everything he's done, you might ask? Well, to Donald Trump, the answer was yes. In 1999, when Booty was ordered to pay $350,000 to the fashion cafe to settle the $15 million in lawsuits he'd racked up, Donald Trump announced he'd be opening a model super agency with Booty. After the two of them became a team, both seemed keen on making excuses for Booty's behavior, blaming lawyers and misunderstandings instead. After all, as Booty's lawyer, Judd Burstein said, Booty was just an easy target who truly meant no harm. He's a generous, high living and naive foreigner without a financial background or any knowledge of American business law. Burstein explained, I think it's fair to say that in his mind, moving monies through various corporate accounts to meet cash flow needs was not improper. And I think from a moral perspective, it wasn't because there was no intent to defraud or do anything other than save the company. Whether or not Booty intended to defraud someone isn't really the issue here. The fact is that he did. He was generous, sure, but with himself and his wife, how can anyone say he wanted what was best for people when his employees' checks were bouncing? Despite his weak defense, Booty had incredibly powerful people defending him, Trump being one of the most notable. Trump himself stated, I've made $5 billion because I bank on the right people. And I think he's a terrific, unjustly accused guy. Restaurants with all the unions and hamburgers you got to deal with are not for him. But Tommaso loves women and women love him back. He's a natural to run a modeling agency. Not only did Booty promise Trump that his wife, Daniela Pestovo, would sign up under the new agency, but he promised he'd steal Eva Herzegova and Stephanie Seymour away from their agencies too. Unfortunately for Booty, Trump's favor and praise did not last. Though Trump was willing to look past his mistakes as a restaurateur to gain his modeling connections, even Trump wouldn't tolerate it when Booty came under investigation by New York Attorney General Elliot Spitzer. It turns out Booty's wife wouldn't either, and she also left him that year. Some accused Booty of having an affair with a supermodel, citing that as the reason she left. Either way, he had no one in his corner. Booty did what he does best, and he fled to Italy before his indictment, like a totally innocent person would do, and Trump reorganized his model agency without him. Whatever shred of reputation Booty had left was tarnished and ruined at this point. The fact that even Trump was scared to touch Booty speaks volumes. According to Bad and Beautiful, Harvey Bloomberg, who worked with leading players in the fashion industry and his wife, Katie, a model scout, were particularly upset by what happened. This plugged in couple says that ventures like the fashion cafe that generate bad publicity leave a dark cloud over the entire fashion industry. The Bloombergs admit that the few people with high moral standards and ethics who remain in fashion suffer the consequences of the actions of unscrupulous people like Tommaso Booty. I've never seen a business in which there are so many liars and crooked people, Harvey Bloomberg says. By the end of the year 2000, Booty and his brother were wanted men. And in December, Booty was arrested in Milan for federal charges for conspiracy, fraud, and money laundering. The indictment listed 51 counts, but somehow that's not all. Not only did he defraud investors associated with the fashion cafe, but he had other businesses too. Food Evolution, the Benetton Sports Cafe, and an office building on Madison Avenue. As it turns out, Booty did expand, just not legitimately. His company grew into Fashion World Co. and according to AP News, took on a travel agency, a health food company, and two Italian restaurants. 
Not much is known about these ventures. They're certainly not infamous like the Fashion Cafe, but it's clear that Booty had a habit of scamming people and not just as a result of innocent naivety. Now, although there were plenty of articles at that time that stated that Booty was awaiting extradition, that never happened. Instead, he was tried and acquitted in Italy in 2007. I was able to find an article of the Italian Vogue that talks about this briefly in which they state that he called himself the Playboy King Midas. Booty was tried in Florence as part of a wider investigation into the chain's financing, but aside from adding the detail that the apron worn by Naomi on opening night was being sold for $400, this article didn't reveal much. One source implies that Florence had quite a few white collar or financial crimes in recent years, and that these crimes tend to get light sentences. Fraudulent bankruptcy for the watchmaking company Sfera received five years and another sentence of four years and six months came down for the bankruptcy of Nova. The same month Booty was indicted, the signing of the United Nations Convention Against Transactional Organized Crime took place in Palermo, Italy. This was meant to combat money laundering internationally, so clearly it was a massive issue. I'm not entirely sure why Booty was acquitted in Florence or never extradited, but perhaps Florence just had bigger fish to fry. Perhaps someone was paid off. We just can't know for certain. Unfortunately, this is still not where the story ends. The very last day that Trump was in office, he pardoned dozens of people, over a third of them having some personal connection to himself. I'm not about to say that there haven't been other extremely questionable pardons throughout history. President Clinton pardoned his half-brother who'd been convicted of cocaine trafficking years prior. So if that isn't a conflict of interest, I don't know what is. Still, today we're talking about Booty and by extension, the pardon Trump granted him in 2020. Though he was far from the most questionable or controversial person Trump pardoned as others have been accused of sexually assaulting minors, it still raised some eyebrows. According to my sources, Trump said he did this because he had already been acquitted in Italy. So Trump claimed it didn't make sense for Booty to face the same charges in the US. President Trump granted a full pardon to Tommaso Booty, a statement from the White House reads, Mr. Booty is an Italian citizen and a respected businessman. He is the chief operating officer of a large Italian company and has started a successful charitable initiative to raise funds for UNICEF. More than 20 years ago, Mr. Booty was charged with financial fraud involving a chain of restaurants. He has not, however, been convicted in the United States. The grace that has been granted to him frees him from the injustice that he would have continued to suffer if he had been forced to go through trial a second time on the same facts. All in all though, it just feels like Booty got away with fraud. Plus I'm honestly disappointed in Naomi Campbell, Elle McPherson and Claudia Schiffer for perpetuating the lie and claiming that they were more involved than what they really were. It's not as if they were hurting for money or opportunities at the time, so they didn't need to lie for 50 or $100,000. Claudia made $15 million in a single year just for being the face of Chanel, for example. None of them were hurting. I haven't really seen any sort of apology or explanation from these models. And generally speaking, Fashion Cafe and the controversy around it is largely forgotten. And I think that's how the people involved want it to remain. To some extent, I personally believe this is because many of the investors were already incredibly wealthy and because just time has passed. If vulnerable or even average people are scammed, others seem more likely to be outraged or sympathetic. Even so, it's disheartening that Booty got away with this so easily. But with all of that being said, that's where I'm going to end today's episode of Prism of the Past. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing so that you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes. I appreciate you taking some time spending it here with me today. I hope you enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed taking a look at the fashion cafe and what it once was. So thank you so much for hanging out with me and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.